Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Russians. Hello. Uh, we have a, a special, uh, you know, we always have special episodes for you, but this one is, you know, like I always say, even more special. And this one is triple special because we have um, a sort of a, a, bl- a blood relation on um, as a guest, um, which who, who I think is a very interesting uh, person. And, um, you know, uh, we're going to talk about a, a topic that I've been kind of writing about on and off for the last few years, uh, which is... Jews in the Soviet Union and or just Soviet Jews and their experiences um, you know um, listeners probably know that for the last year and a half or so um, I've been trying to uh, in, in, in fits and starts I've uh, been trying to write a book about you know my family's own um, experience you know immigrating to America and sort of the larger issues around Soviet Jews and the way that Soviet Jews are weaponized here in America the way that their experience of life back in back in in the Soviet Union and um, I think you know today's guest um, uh, will offer kind of a very very interesting perspective a perspective that runs counter to you know my family's experience my parents experience I should rather say and the experience probably of their parents um, uh, so yeah so I'd like to welcome on to our show uh, Sergei Serebrini he's um, uh, Zhenya's, uh, Evgenia's uncle on, um, so your mom's brother, right? Like maternal uncle? <laughs> yeah, maternal, exactly. <laughs> That's the term. Yeah, but, uh, oh, but besides that, he's, um, uh, a famous Indologist, uh, specialist in, um, Indian literature, culture, and philosophy. And, uh, he's a doctor of philosophy and he's been, um, both teaching and having a research position, I believe, at, uh, the Russian State University for the Humanities in Moscow. So, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome, Sergey. Shall I speak? Yes, you're on. It's very informal, so it, you don't have to. Yeah, it's sort of imagine like uh, we're having a conversation in front of your kitchen table, although you know the kitchen table is many thousands of miles long, <laughs> and the, you know, the people that you're speaking to are on the other side of the uh, of the globe. So it's pretty informal. But yeah, thank you for thank you for talking to us. I know it's late in, in Moscow now. No, 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 it's not too late. It's just uh, 20 minutes to nine. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think I have to begin with more than one disclaimer. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't hear properly, but uh, you once said that you would like to discuss with me the problem of Jews in Russia and Jewish immigration from Russia. So, uh, my disclaimer number one would be that I have not done any research in this, in this field, in the field of Jewish studies. Uh, and whatever I know about this problem, this issue, uh, comes from my own life experience, limited as it is, as it is limited. Uh, for every human being, if I can, if I can interject, it's actually, it's yes. actually, it's actually exactly what we're looking for. Um, because I think, you know, uh, in these cases, life experiences are usually, you know, have, are very valid, and you actually you know, have lived a, lived a long life and have observed quite, a, quite a, uh, you know, quite a large chunk of Soviet and now, you know, Russian history as well. Uh, and so it, you, I think your perspective on it is exactly what we're looking for. And we're not only going to just talk about that. This is just something that, you know, something that particularly in- interests b- both of us uh, here on our end. So I, I, I think we're not expecting a um, an academic kind of uh, 
knowledge. Uh, knowledge. <laughs> even, even though I have to say, knowing you and knowing how you approach, uh, you know, any, any kind of any kind of uh, any kind of um, intellectual sort of pursuit, is that it, even if you haven't done any kind of academic research into this, that you will. I'm I, I, I'm certain that you will uh, approach it with the same kind of rigor, even if it is only your life experience. Well, yes, indeed. Uh, well, professionally, I am a research scholar. So maybe inevitably, uh, whatever is the subject I'm invited to talk about, I inevitably I talk, uh, well, as a scholar, <laughs> uh, for good or for bad. Uh, but still, my next disclaimer, if it is needed, is that, uh, strictly speaking, uh, I'm not 100% Jewish. So my life experience is also an experience of a particular, what should I say, a subgroup of people in Russia, uh, people of mixed origin. Uh, uh, well, in my case, it is, uh, well, half Russian, half Jewish. And I, I, I never thought about myself as 100% Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and as they say in English, for all practical purposes, I, I'm more Russian than anything else because my mother tongue is Russian and I know rather little about Jewish traditions and I have very superficial knowledge of uh, two Jewish languages, Yiddish and Hebrew. More as a linguist, more as a linguist as a, than as a Jew. So, you know, if I can interject for a second, you know, I mean, look, because my, you know, I'm, okay, so I'm my parents, you know, whose experiences I um, depend on, you know, to to understand sort of their, you know, the the perspective of Soviet Jews or you know, the life experiences mm-hmm. of Soviet Soviet Jews, um, you know, in their particular kind of slice of that experience, you know, they're, mm-hmm. I guess, would be called fully Jewish. You know, they have. Parents, Jewish parents on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, I think they're similar to you in the sense that, on one level, in the sense that they are very, very far removed from any kind of Jewish culture, right? I mean, so you know, my, my, my father is completely removed. I mean, his parents were very, very, um, diehard communists, you know, from an early age, um, mm-hmm. rejected mm-hmm. any kind of, that kind of Jewish culture, right? Uh, and, 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 you know, we're, we're these new Soviet type of, of people, right? Um, and so he was never in touch with anything Jewish, uh, on the one hand, you know, but on the other hand, he himself felt like, or was made to feel Jewish because he was, you know, there was something that was pointed out about him by people, right? Uh, in his, throughout his life. And ultimately, you know, as he got older, you know, he began to identify more and more and more with this Jewish side of of his, even though he didn't speak the language, he didn't have, know any of the culture. Like you say, you didn't. Yeah, either. like you, like you. So I, I feel like, and my mother is similar. Maybe she's it was a bit more, you know, um, has slightly more connection to it because her grandma, you know, her parents spoke Yiddish in the house. She had a grandmother who, you know, was basically from the shtetl, uh, who didn't even couldn't even read. Uh, in Russian, um, and um, 
you know, so but still pretty far removed in her daily life, and most of their their friends were not Jew Jewish, right? And and only I think my father and only when he went to his institute um, in, in in Leningrad, we, he actually met Jewish people. So what you say, I think what Yasha's saying historically, there are people like Yasha's parents, like quite many of uh, Russian Jews, I guess, are like that. They were kind of radicalized as adults into yes. being being a Jewish nationalist, kind of in a way. I remember discussing this. Mm, well, problem uh, in the early 1970s with some Norwegian guests. And I said that uh, many people uh, rejuified themselves <laughs> in those years. <laughs> uh, That's a good, I like that term, rejuified, yeah. <laughs> Self, self rejuification. That's yes. exactly what happened. Seventies. Yes. Yes. Right. Self rejuification. <laughs> no, but but uh, it never it never happened to me, you know, because uh, I uh, well <laughs> well continuing uh, this this line of talking, I may say that the very concept of of Jewishness of being a Jew. Uh, in the Soviet Russian context, is 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 very complex, and you can't take it as very simple and self-evident when you say that this or that person is Jewish. Then you have to explain in what sense, to what extent, and uh, in what age, and so on. Mm-hmm. But my case still is different from the cases of your parents, because I grew. Uh, in a mixed family, and I knew rather from my early childhood, I can't say, I don't remember when exactly I I learned it, but uh, uh, I know that I I knew it from my early childhood, that my father was Russian, that my mother, well, was considered Jewish. You know, in, in the Soviet Union, we had internal domestic passports, and uh, there was, mm, what should I say, a paragraph or an entry, an entry in this passport about nationality. So my father, of course, was described as Russian in the Soviet passport, and my mother was described as, as Jewish. Uh, so, and, uh, but in our family, it was not a problem, I should say. I don't remember... Uh, any any conflicts in any case, any any arguments about this? It was just a matter of fact, and nobody bothered too much about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I should add that you may not remember it because you were too young and you didn't experience uh, this Soviet reality, so to say. But uh, we had this idea of internationalism. Uh, it was, of course, an official slogan, and as all other official slogans, it was, well, hypocritical to a very large extent. But uh, nevertheless, we were taught that actually nationality is not important, that we are all, well, human beings, and that all nations should live together and well, I wouldn't be able to describe now 
exactly what was meant by, by this internationalism. But in any case, it meant that at least in Moscow, in that environment in which I grew, uh, the, uh, the, the, the problem of belonging to a certain nationality was, was not important. Though officially, as a Soviet citizen, you had to be ascribed in your passport to a certain nationality. And you and were ascribed I, Russian, correct? Your well, nationality but, officially. Yes, but I came to it only when I was 16, when I had to, to ah, get my passport. I see. And mm -hmm. then, of course, I had to choose. But again, there was no problem. My mother said, my, my Jewish mother said, Uh, to me that, of course, you should write Russian. Why should you write Jewish? What is, what is so Jewish about you <laughs> first? And then being Russian would make your life easier in any way. Yeah. Uh, you know, people were quite outspoken about it, uh, but it was not a problem. And nobody, no my mother, no my Jewish grandmother or any other Jewish relative, you know, it was not a problem. You may write in your passport whatever you want. There was a funny case in in our house. I mean, we lived in a big residential house. I may talk about it later. Uh, and I had a, well, a kind of girlfriend of my age called uh, Lena. Just <laughs> for me, she was she was Russian, of course, because we grew in one yard. Uh, I, I, I wonder if I say yard in English, does it exactly? People mean, people know what they what think you mean, like a courtyard in front of the house. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because there was a, a huge internal yard, you know, the house. Well, anyhow. So, but then she told me much later, her father was officially Czech, a Russified Czech. Uh, Franz, she was called Franz, Franz Novotny, a very Czech surname. Her, her mother was again formally or officially Greek from Odessa. But of course, in the family, they spoke only Russian. And I don't know whether or not this Franz knew Czech or uh, Lena's mother knew Greek. I don't know. Yeah. But when uh, this Lena, came to uh, get her, her Soviet passport, uh, she was told, you have to write either Czech or Greek. That's pretty, that's hilarious. <laughs> she was very much perplexed because she considered herself Russian. <laughs> but don't you think, so, so I mean, I'm curious, when did you first, um, like, because it's such a strange... Right, uh, the the Soviet paradoxical policy towards nationalism. Right, on the other hand, on one hand, nationalism was like a bad word in a way, right? Because nationalistic movements were reactionary, yes. right? Politically, yes, yes, yes. Um, but on the other hand, everyone had an uh, you know a kind of a, a nationality, which I think probably in the modern sense, what's probably the ethnicity, ethnicity they or race or something like like that. Yes, of course, yeah. in English, yes. in English, it should be. Translated as an ethnicity yes. rather than nationality, but in Russian it was nationalist. So, 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 so on the one hand, you're supposed to sort of 
you know, shed your sort of nationalness, on, you know, although that's not precisely true because, you know, every there were republics, uh, national republics, and people had their own yes, national yes, culture. Yes. And then there's – so there's like – what I mean, I'm just curious. Did that ever, ever um, – you know, you're telling me the stories about, you know, about your childhood girlfriend, and then you found out that she was actually a Greek Czech. Um, um, did that ever? When did you begin to think about the the paradox of these two things, or or did that did that not even kind of come up in your mind? You know, when you were growing well, up. Well, this was not the only paradox of the Soviet <laughs> system. Of course. It's a good point. Maybe not even that, the most striking that's a good one. Point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, you see, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, I think it was uh, uh, meant to, so to say, to simplify uh, the dealings of uh, authorities, of the authorities with, with the citizens. Because, uh, you know, when you don't see a person, but you see the passport or other documents, in all other documents, it would, it would also be written, the, the nationality. Then... Of course, uh, well, the official, uh, so to say, well, the, the policy of various Soviet institutions, they took into consideration this ethnicity. So, uh, as in many other cases, or is respect, there was, of course, a discrepancy uh, between the official, the official stand uh, and the reality, of course. Yeah. But uh, still, uh, I remember as a child that we didn't care much about our ethnicity, at least in that environment. And uh, uh, I, I remind you that I grew up almost in at the very center of Moscow. You see, probably if it were, if it were, uh, or if it had been some village or some uh, provincial town. It, it might have been different. Yes. But at the center of Moscow, it was like this, you see. Mm -hmm. So uh, to finish that story about the girl, she had to write check uh, <laughs> because she had her father's surname, Novotny, which is a Czech surname. There was the Czech president, Novotny. Mm. It, it's a common Czech surname. And later she had to learn Czech because uh, she was asked, uh, so to say, at every step, ah, so you are Czech, do you know the Czech language? She had to learn the Czech language. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know what happened to her later. I lost. That's so funny. Maybe she, moved to, maybe she moved to um, Czechoslovakia. I, I don't know. But this, but this is a very telling example, you know, how the, the official schemes... Uh, they, so to say, conflict can conflicted with the reality. But again, in my case, what I would stress that again in this house, in this residential area, uh, now that house is no longer there. It was destroyed um, in the late sixties when they built this called this so-called new new Arbat. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it stood at this, uh, what is called garden circle, Sadovek, and so. Uh, anyhow, so this house, uh, it was most probably, it had been designed before the revolution and probably even built before the revolution. Uh, but it was 
inhabited uh, by the people who worked mostly with my grandfather in some Soviet agency. I, I don't know exactly the name, but anyhow, my grandfather, Zhenya's great-grandfather, he was just a Soviet functionary, and he got a flat, mm. uh, an apartment huh? mm -hmm. in this house in 1923. And wow. Probably many of his colleagues at that Soviet agency. So later I realized that in our house there were many Jews because they worked at that agency. Uh, well, we may discuss it later, the, so to say, the, the mm -hmm. place of Jews in the Soviet system. But uh, this Jewishness was not marked in any way. I don't remember at home or in the yard, so to say. I don't remember any discussions about this is this person is Jewish, this person is not Jewish, this is Russian. No, this theme was absent, absolutely. But you know, on this note, I actually have a specific question for you about this Jewishness thing. Mm -hmm. One of the narratives of this, um, I guess it's considered third wave of immigration from Soviet Union, mm -hmm. which is predominantly mm -hmm. Jewish, that's Yasha's parents. No, I, I doubt, mm -hmm. I doubt. Sorry, Zhenya, to interrupt you. Uh, it, it, it may be, a, so to say, a widespread idea that the third wave was predominantly Jewish. Mm -hmm. I doubt very much that it was the case. I, I'm not sure that there is a solid statistics, mm -hmm. but I would not be surprised if, if it were found that Jews actually occupied not... Uh, Jews were not the majority in the third wave. Mm -hmm. They were... Mm, uh, uh, well, a considerable part of, of this third wave, but hardly the majority. Really? But who was the majority? Because Jews the, were the ones who were allowed to leave because they were Jews. Like um... uh, You see, uh, well, Jewishness was rather a pretext uh, to, to immigrate or, or means to, to immigrate, you know. And uh, there were many Jew jokes about it. You know, and the Jewish that, wife, that one, is a, is the, a means the of Jewish transportation. Wife, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, uh -huh. You know, there is this famous phrase from Ilfen Petrov's novel, that a car is not a luxury, but means of transportation. Right. Huh? So, so at that the time, there was a joke that the Jewish wife is not a luxury, but a means of transportation. Right. <laughs> well, but, but look, but, but, but there were a lot of mixed families. I mean, that's that's a fact. Uh, and of course, you know, also, you know, the Jewishness again. It's it's all about how you, um, you know, I mean, you did you did have to prove that there was some Jewish blood in a, you know, like the, by pay, by documents and things like that. So, but there was a lot no, of no, Jewish. No. Yes. Uh, not not only the, not this. You had to prove. That you have Jewish relatives who yes. who invite you, I think this was enough. <laughs> yes, yes, and 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 that was, and they didn't even need to really be. I mean, you know, it's all, it could be forged. The, you had you know essentially fake relatives yes. and stuff, stuff like that. And there but was yeah, so, there was yeah. another joke. There was another joke at that time that uh, a, a Jewish a Jew uh, complains 
that, look, uh, my wife wants to emigrate, my children wants to emigrate, my parents-in-law want, want to emigrate. I, I, I don't want. And so uh, then she, he's told, well, let them go and you remain. He said, well, but I'm the only Jew among them. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, let's say let's say this. Fine, maybe it's uh, a bit of a, like an exaggerated version, but let's say there were there were Jews among immigrants. Uh what I wanted to say is that the narrative, at least in America about all this, is that Soviet Jews were uh, victims of um, anti-Semitism, state-sponsored, state-sponsored anti-Semitism in Soviet Union. And America, in a way, and Israel as well, but America did, did a big part too, saved Jews from Soviet Union, brought them to America, and um, allowed them to practice Judaism and live this, like, I don't know, amazing, wealthy, free life here, or, or something. I'm simplifying the narrative. But when you talk about Soviet Jewish experience, at least the one you had, just your personal experience, and from what I even, how I grew up and what I know, it feels so foreign to me, this narrative, because I never really thought that this sort of anti-Semitism that maybe I encountered as a kind of everyday minor thing, a little bit, even, let's say, in the modern, in the present day Russia, I never thought of it as state-sponsored or something that precluded you from... I don't know, living your life uh, in Russia and succeeding or, or whatnot. So um, more so what you said to me once, I was trying to remember the story, or um, that you actually were surrounded by people, as you said, of different ethnicity, ethnicity and also by many Jews. And you were, on the contrary, surprised, I think as an adult already, to find once you met this Russian, pure Russian person who was very cultured. I don't know. Do you remember the story? And so you were almost yes, like yes. you were uh, surprised yes, to meet like a fully Slav. I guess it's considered um, Slavic. Yeah, Slav, I don't yeah. know Slavic Russian, like a ethnic big big Russian. I guess they call them person in Moscow who was very very cultured, like a professor. And that was a surprise to you, not the opposite. Basically, the Jews for you were never some kind of victimized. Um, minority. people, minority, like in your experience. Yes, yes, yes. This was my experience. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe just uh, uh, among our acquaintances, <coughs> they were mostly, uh, well, cultured people, well, educated people were mostly Jewish. But I think that uh, the percentage of, uh, so to say, educated people, uh, or the percentage of Jews among the uh, educated people in the Soviet Union was really uh, very high. And uh, I remember, <clears throat> I, I, I understand whom you mean. It happened mm, in the early, early 1960s when uh, we moved from that house where we lived uh, to Ismailova, that, uh, well, far away, part of Moscow, mm -hmm. and uh, my grandmother, she invited some people to live in the... Rented, in maybe rented? Two, uh, rented out. Rented, mm -hmm. rented out, yes, she rented out. Uh, she remained one, uh, I mean, a single person in two, room, two rooms flat. So it 
to get some more money. And she was just a, a pensioner mm -hmm. without too much income. So she rented out uh, the second room to, to some people from time to time. And once there was uh, a person who was a professor at the uh, Ganesian, Ganesian Institute of uh, uh, yeah, music. musical university. It's mm -hmm. very famous, huh? Right, it's the most famous. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, his, his surname was Kozlov. Uh, he was called Pavel Gennadievich. I later, recently, I, I found his name in the internet. He's mentioned in some lists of professors of the Ignatian Institute. <laughs> he was a, a, pro, a professor of not exactly music, but musical theory, let's say so. Mm -hmm. What in Russian is called musikavet. Uh, but I don't know if there is any any English word of this kind. A scholar of music, something mm -hmm. like this. He was, he was very refined. Uh, even hyper-refined, I would say. And it was really, I, I realized even then that it was, for me, uh, quite quite an unusual experience to meet a highly refined uh, Russian person. Yes, indeed. Ethnically Russian, as you would say, right? Ethnically mm -hmm. Russian. But well, maybe he, but maybe I, would he surprised, <laughs> I would not be surprised if, in fact, it would have been proved that he was not fully Russian, but... but for all practical purposes, he was a Russian. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I've been slowly uh, trying to maybe, you know, trying to figure out and, uh, and to try to start to write a book on this topic. And, you know, one of the things that mm, one of the episodes that I didn't know anything about and, you know, very few people know anything about is that is, you know, the kind of... Um, the campaign uh, on in, in sort of on the, on the American side and on the European side, exactly you know in your in the sixties and seventies, sort of the, the the time that you're talking about now, to try to convince you know Americans and 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 by to a smaller extent sort of Western um, Europeans um, mm -hmm. that uh, right in the in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies that there was an actually um, a camp an anti-Jewish campaign that was being sort of whipped up. That was being um, generated, and that um, there were um, there were comparisons to 1930s Nazi Germany being made, and there was talk about that if we don't save the Soviet Jews now, right, and if we don't get them out, uh, trying to uh, out of the Soviet Union, there's going to be a second Holocaust, and that the Soviet Union is going to finish basically what, what, what Hitler had started. I mean, that was, and, and that was being pretty active to the point where, you know, people like Elie Wiesel, you know, the, the, the Holocaust survivor and author, right? The, the, you know, uh, wrote this kind of, I, I, I think you'd probably get a, a, a kick out of it. Uh, I, I, I'll try to send you a PDF if I could find it of his book. He went to Moscow. I think it was in the early seventies. You know, and then he went to the synagogue, um, you know, uh, uh, in Kitai Gorod, right? Um, to that, to that big Jewish synagogue there. Um, and he, you know, talked to Jews. And the impression that you get from reading his book, right? This Holocaust survivor, this probably America's most famous Holocaust author, right? Uh, who wrote a memoir about his, about his experiences surviving kind of the, the big, biggest authority on the subject of the Holocaust, essentially, right? Uh, at the time. Coming back from Moscow and writing this book that basically says 
The Jews there are all trembling. They're living in fear. They brush up against you, whisper words in, in dark corners, afraid to in the open talk to you, right? Because they're afraid. And it's on the it's on it's, it's on the conscience of American Jews who live so comfortably, live so well, right? That it's on their conscience. It's it's gonna be, it, that if they don't do something to save their you know brothers and sisters living behind the iron curtain, that it's gonna be over. And so it's kind of so what you know, this is the this is the kind of the the split screen um, kind of realities right that are, that are happening. So on the one hand, you know there's the Soviet Union with obviously some problems towards Jews, uh, you know, especially I think in smaller cities in, in more, you know, uh, that there is some discrimination. I mean, my, my, you know, it existed. I wasn't, but, but, and on the other hand, there is this campaign that got going and that, you know, um, in the 1980s, it really reached a kind of crescendo and reached a, a fever pitch. Um, right around the time that, you know, my family started, you know, leaving, um, uh, planning to leave the Soviet Union. So, what, what what would you say to that? I don't know if I, I don't know if you even <laughs> no, know about no. some, that this was happening in in in, in the no, West. I think that uh, uh, well, I understand that if there was a campaign, I don't know uh, who, so to say, profited from it. But of course, it was all exaggerations, and my personal experience mm, is quite different. Well. Uh, you know, let me talk historically. Uh, let me uh, tell in a nutshell uh, the story of, of my, well, relatives and my ancestors that you will see, uh, well, so to say, my own family experience. Zhenya uh, uh, may know, I, I have sent you my essay uh, written at the request of a Jewish scholar in, in South Africa, if I not mistake. So, I I do think that my that relatives on my Russian side suffered in the 20th century much more than my relatives on the Jewish side. It might be, it might be the just the experience of my relatives of my family. But in my case, it is definitely so. No, that's and, interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I have wrote about it, so you may read my text. Uh, well, and but, we'll, yeah, but, that's but, interesting. I have read parts of it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's a long story, but believe uh, just just uh, only numerically, if I if I enumerate the number of my Russian ancestors who perished one way or another in the 20th century it would be larger what can i ask you what the number of my jewish relatives who uh, suffered anyway in the 20th century again i say it may not be uh, too representative you know it may be an exception even i admit but this is the the case of my family of my ancestors <laughs> What was the predominant form of suffering? So it was what the the civil war, the well, my yeah. my uh, well, take the the family of my father. Uh, there were five, uh, five yes, five brothers in the family. My father was the youngest. So the two eldest brothers perished during the civil war, 
they were enlisted in the Red Army and they perished during the Civil War. One mom brother uh, perished. In fact, recently I learned that he died in the hospital being wounded in, in 1945. Anyhow, he, he perished during the Second World War. A cousin of my brother, of my father, a cousin, also perished. Uh, and I learned recently that he perished in uh, as a prisoner of war in Romania. Wow. Uh, one more brother, he uh, was a soldier uh, during the war. And after the war, he, conf he had a conflict with some authorities by the end of the war. So he spent several years in the, uh, well, prison camp somewhere in the north. Probably it's the only relative of ours who had this prison experience. Fortunately, he survived. Uh, he was a nice, a nice chap, and well, chap. He was two years older than my father. My father was the youngest, uh, and uh, he he was a, a military officer, actually a navy officer, all through the war. But he served in the Far East, in Vladivostok. Uh, so actually, he never took part in any military actions. Uh, um, you know, it's, is, you know, yeah. And your father is from a, a, a kind of a typical Russian peasant family, right? I mean, they. Yes, yeah. my father was born as a Russian peasant uh, in, in a kind of in Russian, it is called Silo. It means a, a big village, a big village. Uh, now it is in the Nizhny Novgorod uh, district. Mm -hmm. uh, we visited that place with him twice. What does so, it look like now? Actually, he, interesting. He was he was taken to the army and he served in the army, uh, and then he became a kind of uh, Soviet uh, well functionary, quite a successful one. Uh, he was very well placed. Is it because of his oh. just gen like what do you call it um, natural intelligence? Because he wasn't well, he educated. Was quite a, a, he was quite a bright person. Mm -hmm. because he's, he had only secondary education. And actually, I'm not sure that he ever finished any school even. Because, mm -hmm. you know, he was born in 1915. He was born in Orford because his father perished uh, again at the, front, at the front of the First World War. So my father was born in Orford. Mm-hmm. Actually, the only relative of mine who was born in Orphan. <laughs> uh, then his mother died in 1919 during the Civil War. And uh, he, of course, never, he didn't remember exactly why she died. Mm -hmm. Probably she was ill, or probably she, she didn't. Right, he was a real orphan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he so was he a real orphan. He was an orphan. He grew, then, he grew up in the family of his uh, paternal uncle and aunt, and their only child, his cousin, born in 1923, he perished during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But you know what I, I, I wanted to kind of point out, I guess, or that's my theory at least, because uh, I knew my grandfather, your father, for a fairly short period of time. I think yes, I was. but you knew him as a very old man already. Yes, yes, yes I know. So my, my recollection is like he was, I was 10 or 11 when he died, um, and he was pretty old. But what I wanted to say is that um, you mentioned how you, when you were growing up, back to the the whole Russian Jewish history, uh, it didn't matter what whether you were, you knew you were mixed, both Russian and Jewish, and your family was mixed. But uh, the stories I know may, make me think that... Um, uh, since your father, the Russian peasant in a way, or of the Russian peasants, joined the Jewish part of the family, you know, our maternal part, your 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 mother and the great uh, grandmother and uh, all all those <laughs> all those Jews, he in a way joined the Jewish family. So, am I right to think that, um, you know, he was in a way <laughs> not Jewified, but he, he kind of lived with Jews. It's not like he had much to offer culture-wise. I don't know exactly what Russian culture is, but he wasn't necessarily cultured, right? He was Russian peasant. Well, so you your see, experience... Uh, I'll just quickly finish. So your experience, as you say, yeah, it didn't matter, but ultimately it was <laughs> kind of homogenous because he didn't have much to offer, so it was all the Jewish kind of atmosphere at home. Well, you see, again, it's all relative and should be specified because... Of course, my, my my father was not well educated, but as as an individual, as a person, he was very bright, very delicate, and uh, he had many other, so to say, should I say, merits. And uh, but there was very little specifically Jewish about the family that he joined as a, as a son-in-law because uh, these uh, uh, my grandfather my grandmother and my mother of course well formally or officially they were Jews and they, they knew they were Jews and they, they had a kind of Jewish consciousness but for all practical purposes their, their, their culture their, their personal culture so to say was Soviet Russian. They, they didn't follow any Jewish traditions. They didn't know any Jewish traditions, I think. My, my grand, well. Uh, so there's no my, Jewish cooking in the house? Like no, no gefilte fish? Nothing like that? No, you know. Uh, no, I think my grandmother knew how to do it, but I don't, I can't say that she do it very often. No. The cooking was just uh, very, well, international, so to say, very ordinary Soviet, nothing too specially Jewish. But what about Yiddish? They knew Yiddish, the gra your grandmother you and see, your mother? Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, let me still start with my grandfather. The most, the most Jewish person in, in the family was my grandfather, but the problem is that he divorced my grandmother when I was born. And he lived separately with his second wife, who was incidentally uh, Crimean Armenian. <laughs> <for that. laughs> Another victim. So, yeah. so he was he was very much international himself. Well, well let me. Okay, okay. You know, I, you know, I I actually have a specific question that actually might get to something because uh, did your did your grandmother? 
was she upset when your mother married a Russian and not a Jew, not a Jewish man? Was it something that was a cause for friction? Um, you see, uh, I was not a witness to this process. <laughs> well, I mean, have you heard him? As you may imagine. But yes, you see uh, what happened. In fact, I say that I owe my birth to two historical events. Russian Revolution. First, first the revolution of 1917, which mixed, misplaced and mixed various social strata. And uh, because of this uh, mixture, because of these shifts, social shifts, my Russian peasant father married my Jewish urban mother. Uh, and the second event was the so the so-called Great Terror of 1937. Uh, my grandfather, as I said, he. Uh, he didn't get any uh, high education either. He tried to learn medicine in Switzerland in 1911, but his father refused to finance him, and he had to return home and never got any proper education, I'm afraid. Uh, well, except traditional Jewish education. He knew Hebrew. He could read Hebrew easily. And by the end of his life, he understood uh, this called Israel, uh, though it was in, in, in Sfardit. Uh, and he, of course, he, uh, learned Ashkenazit. But, uh, well, he was bright enough to, so to say, to understand Sfardit in his late years. Interesting. Uh, so he became very early. He became a kind of Soviet functionary. Uh, when I read Solzhenitsyn's uh, 200 Years Together, and I read there that uh, during the early 20s, the Soviet system relied very much on, on Jews as administrators and uh, well, well, functionaries, because, uh, well, first, there were maybe not too many uh, educated enough Russians around, and Jews were, so to say, relied upon. There, I mean, yeah. the only ones left standing. Well, no, it's not even. It's not even. Yeah, it's basically Wait, they're Russians the only people immigrated. who are literate. I mean, they could read and write, and so I mean, well, or maybe not, not the, the only not one, one, but, but there was I'm, there was a large number. Yeah. There was a large number of educated Jews yes. who were ready to work with the new. Uh, political system. No, yeah, it was it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and, and uh, uh, so my my grandfather was among those. His younger brother, uh, whom I also knew, he was even a diplomat in the 1920s. He worked in Königsberg, wow. in the Soviet consulate there, and he told me that in those years he even visited Berlin from time to time as a diplomat. Late, his, his, younger he his younger mm. brother? Is it his younger brother? Wow. Mm. Okay. Uh, and the, thir the third brother was a very successful engineer who uh, built that uh, uh, Magnitogorsk complex. Wow. Who participated in that Magnitogorsk building. Anyhow, so uh, uh, 
so my my grandfather he was uh, he 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 got his traditional Jewish education he, because he was born in 1889 and by 18 by 1917 he was a grown up well quite an adult person mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but so, he but wasn't he, lived, he wasn't an ardent he, Bolshevik or anything like that. He was just working. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 no. He was very critical about the Soviet system, though he didn't discuss it with me too much. <laughs> uh, he was uh, maybe he he didn't have the habit of discussing such things, and uh, after all, I met him only when I was about ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was not maybe not what should I say, too much intimacy between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew Yiddish as well, but despised it. Uh, he called it jargon and, uh, and despised it. As for my grandmother, uh, you know, girls were not taught Hebrew yes. in traditional Jewish families. So she knew only one one phrase in Hebrew, uh, and from time to time she would uh, pronounce it. I I I'm going uh, on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? She knew nothing else in Hebrew. Uh, she understood Yiddish because of probably in the family. Wait, of, what does that phrase friends. mean? What does that phrase huh? mean? What does that phrase, Hebrew phrase mean? Uh, I go or I, I move uh, on the floor. Or <laughs> on the I knew uh, it's the, it, the female form of, of the verb. Is it some metaphor or literally? No, no, no. Well, probably... Probably she took some lessons in Hebrew <laughs> or overheard his uh, brothers teaching, uh, studying Hebrew. So that mm-hmm. much she knew, not more. <laughs> okay. So she only spoke Yiddish and Russian? Uh, no, no. I think her, her mother tongue was Russian. She spoke Russian without the slightest accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and she understood Yiddish, I think, and she knew quite a number of you know, proverbs, exclamations, mm-hmm. uh, proverbs. Uh, sometimes I half jokingly I say that I may be considered a native speaker of Yiddish because <laughs> from my childhood I knew a lot of sayings, proverbs. Uh, well, mm-hmm. But uh, you see, any, any Russian may know that much of Yiddish. Say, Vezmir. Well, I'm not sure many Russians <laughs> know anything of Yiddish, but <laughs> but but, well. but you know, and so, but so was so was your I mean because you, you didn't so your answer my question. Was pretty condescending towards Yiddish, which actually yeah. is the language of a Jewish shtetl. So would you say then it's like a, a certain snobbery, like there's a class no, no, mentality? No, you see, because the grandfather. Well, I think it was he. Well. What should I say? Part of his education, he was taught Hebrew, and Hebrew was a, uh, so to say, high-level language of Jewish culture. 
But it was only a religious language. It's a religious language. It was not used in... Well, not not only. You see, uh, when my grandfather was growing, Hebrew became, uh, by that time, uh, even long ago, uh, had become a language of secular literature as well. Gotcha. And my grandfather would recall that in his teens, he read quite a lot of secular literature in Hebrew. For instance, he read uh, some novels, uh, well, Dumas, Three Musketeers, he read in Hebrew. <laughs> Whoa. I see. I see. So what you mean? So already back then there was the re- essentially a reinvention um, of the language as a kind of Not, as, well, as a kind of see, secular uh, Zionist. There, no, no. There were two processes. One was using uh, uh, the Hebrew as uh, a language of secular literature. Mm-hmm. And this process be- began uh, early in the 19th century. Uh, there was this movement in Europe called Haskalah, mm. uh, Jewish Enlightenment. Yes. And mm-hmm. they started using uh, Hebrew... Uh, as a language of secular uh, writings. Mm-hmm. And they translated a lot of, uh, well, masterpieces of uh, Western literature into Hebrew. So my grandfather could read uh, famous some famous books like, like Dumas' Three Musketeers in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, uh, well. And Yiddish, uh, you see, uh, Yiddish uh, had not this high... Uh, so to say, repute, high prestige. Uh, it was only uh, people like Sholom Aleichem and before him that Mendele Boichers for him who tried to elevate it to, to that high high status. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, uh, in, in the Soviet Union, uh, Hebrew uh, was uh, even prohibited beginning with 1919, probably, but Yiddish Yiddish was uh, encouraged, as the people of the Jewish, uh, well, Jewish people, so to say, Jewish common people. And why was so, it encouraged? Do you think? Because huh? it's uh, why was Yiddish encouraged while Hebrew prohibited? Why do you think? Because that Hebrew, was, yeah. by by the Soviet officials, mm-hmm. Hebrew was considered a religious language. It was uh-huh. a language. Mm-hmm. It, it was also the language of religion. Right. Uh, while Yiddish was not a, so much a language of religion, it was, uh, well, in fact, a kind of secular, secular language of, of Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why uh, the, there were Yiddish, yeah, Yiddish publications and Yiddish newspapers. And, uh, you know, nowadays they recall very often the so-called Ukrainization in Ukraine in the uh, 1920s when Bolsheviks, uh, uh, there was, in Russian it was called the politics of uh, Karinizatsia. Mm-hmm. It means they, they tried to encourage, uh, well, local languages, local people. And they encourage Yiddish in this way. And uh, my grandfather's uh, brother, that, that whom I mentioned, he was called Vinyamin. Uh, uh, well, in the biblical way, uh, the eldest son was 
Yosef, uh, and the next son was Benjamin, just like in Bible. <laughs> uh, so well, you, you know, huh? you didn't uh, you didn't answer the question because I think you were going to get to it. Uh, was 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 your uh, grandmother um, not fully uh, happy with the fact that your mother married a, a Russian person uh, and not a Jewish person? Well, you see, uh, I think that uh, no. Uh, well, <laughs> what do you know about that story, anyway? I, I, yes, yes. I will. I have to. Re- I have to return to my um, uh, statement that the Great Terror of 1937 mm-hmm. uh, was uh, one more reason for my birth. Uh, my grandfather told me that in 1937, his boss he worked at some ministry, and his boss sound. Uh, summoned him and said, look, now it's a bad time in Moscow. We will send you for some time in Vladivostok and uh, you you will keep there till till things calm down in Moscow. Huh? Mm-hmm. This was the attitude of the people here. And so my, fa- my grandfather was sent in 1937 to Vladivostok. My mm-hmm. mother went to visit him there, and my father served in the Navy there. Mm-hmm. And they met in Vladivostok about 1937 38. Uh, and my father told me that, of course, uh, the. Uh, yes, and. The grandmother, my future grandmother, also went there. They lived all there for some time. And, of course, they were not happy that their daughter meets some some goy. There it is, yeah. A goysher bocher in Yiddish. And my father recalled then when... Uh, my future mother left Vladivostok for Moscow uh, and the grand, my future grandfather remained there for some time. Even my father was still there till, till 1945. Uh, so once at least they met by chance in the streets, in one of the streets of Vladivostok. But my future grandfather, uh, so to say, pretended not to recognize him. He didn't greet him. He just passed by. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it wasn't connected to the fact that he was married your dad or i don't know if he was married yet because he had another wife uh, he was married but well but then I'm it's another sh- layer I'm, it's another I'm layer not, I, i'm not i'm not <laughs> sure that he had told my mother about it oh okay <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure he never he never uh uh told me so many details of this story okay so so that's an interesting that's an interesting thing i think you know it kind of um I don't know. It's it's it, it uh, is similar to what you know. My dad's what my dad told me about his parents and you know their 
relationship with their Jewish identity and the fact that they were, you know, ardent communists is that on the one hand, they were, you know, completely... International. They were yeah. you know, internationalists, <laughs> you know, through and through. They, they were, you know, very much believed. They were true believers uh, up until the very end, you know. And, um, and yet... The fact that he married a, my father, you know, did marry a Jewish uh, girl, right? Th- that this, you know, was was, um, you know, very important. B- very important to my gr- to to his mother, and she was thrilled. You know, I mean, it was like the best news that she could possibly hear, um, <laughs> because uh, because you know her other, you know, her her uh, his he has a sister and a brother. I mean, his older sister married a, a Russian man. Uh, uh, and so, you know, so, so basically, so there was this kind of tension, right? Well, on the one hand, they weren't Jewish and they shed their Jewish identity, although they were Jewish because they were active in these, you know, um, these kind of Jewish cells or you take it, right? Um, that, um, where that's how they got to get, they, his parents met. They met in a, actually a, a communist youth cell. Um, uh, and so, so they were Jewish and not, you know, so they were Jewish culturally, I guess. So it, it, there's, there's a, a, a kind hmm. of paradox to this, right? Uh, so where I guess they're, they're no longer probably, I don't know if I could probably speak to them. It'd be, it'd be pretty interesting to hear what they would have to say on this, but I imagine that they would probably ad- ad- agree that they're Jewish culturally or something like that and ethnically and, but not religious Jews or something. So they, they reject that part of their, Identity. So they were Jews and communists, and that was that was fine with them. You know, there wasn't. Um, well, yeah. you know, uh, being a Jew and being a communist, it it went together very easily uh, all through the 20th century. <laughs> you yeah. don't say. You don't say. But you only sup- then confirm there's this. Um, I mean, it's a negative idea, at least here in the West. No, about, no it's about, not a negative. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's, here it's, they say Judeo-Bolshevism. You know what they it's call just it? A, it's just just a matter of facts, you see. It's not mechanically. Well, uh, let me continue about my grandfather. Uh, so, uh, well, yes. Uh, so my my no my my father couldn't get uh, go away from Vladivostok till the end of the war, mm-hmm. and he was sent. Uh, from there to the Baltic Sea only in uh, 1945, just before the war against Japan started there. Anyhow, and, um, but he said, he told me that he was going to, to go to Moscow in, in, Ju- in June of 41, but then the war started and he stuck there. And uh, anyhow, so so, when so wait, came, are you saying he wanted to meet her in Moscow? He wanted to go meet her. Yes, oh. and probably mm-hmm. even even marry her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he told me that in in June forty uh, forty one, he was already supposed to go to Moscow for some, well, no, not just by himself, not uh, violating any 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 rules, but officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, they they got married uh, in March of uh, 1945. So, did they keep in touch? Because back in the day, how is it impossible? Just letters? Probably, probably they did because my father uh, knew her address and okay. came came to 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 to, to the house where we then lived. 
You found her easily in Moscow. Mm -hmm. Just ask. So ask for ask the, where the Jew lived. <laughs> no, you see, you, you, you know, my my father actually didn't bother. In, in fact, for some time, I even thought that he didn't understand uh, that he didn't, so to say, realize that what he's uh, getting. My mother. No, but then, uh, I, I, you know, I I. I I didn't. I didn't dare discuss it with my father. But later, I realized that he had known quite, quite a lot about Jews. There were even there was even a Jewish family in his native village. Oh, uh, oh wow! Strange as it may That's sound. That's strange. Yes. yes. He later told me, yes, we had a Jewish family there. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, in the army, there were many Jewish officers. I suppose. So no no he knew he knew something about Jews and I think he he was quite aware that uh, my mother was Jewish but uh, he didn't bother evidently. Mm -hmm. So at least he wasn't anti-Semitic. <laughs> no 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 yeah. because uh, you know anti-Semitism is uh, actually predominantly an urban phenomenon. Mm -hmm. In the village that he grew up there was not no anti-Semitism. Well, because also there was very little interaction in a way, right? <clears throat> yes, yes. Usually. But, you know, to uh, go back in the more theoretical thing. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to, to uh, so to say, to finish this mm -hmm. story about my grandfather. Mm -hmm. So my, my grandfather uh, and, his, and his brothers, they evidently benefited very much from the Soviet system because... They were quite, so to say, rather well placed. They they didn't become rich. Well, uh, the third brother, who was an engineer, he was more probably the most successful because he had a uh, nice dacha in a very, uh, so to say, prestigious uh, uh, place uh, outside Moscow. He was the most successful, and evidently his being. Jewish never, uh, so to say, interfered with his career, mm -hmm. as far as I can understand. Uh, so no one, then, sorry, no one um, in our family perished in ninety thirty seven. Kind of big terror. That's from what you know. No one suffered. Uh, in. No, no. Mm -hmm. no. Oh, lucky. No. Right. Uh, then, mm, uh, an, an interesting detail. Uh, detail about my grandfather. He died in 1970 uh, from cancer and uh, not uh, when he was already dying, he once told me look, we Jews we uh, well made a revolution in Russia. Nobody would forgive us another one. By another one, what did he mean? Another Ana one. Another oh. revolution. Yes, but like he thought something else is coming? Oh, because, you know, in 1970, it was rather uh, clear that the Soviet system, you know, mm, will not last maybe mm -hmm. too long and there were enough uh, people critically minded. What do you My father was not politically active, but he was quite, uh, so to say... Uh, well, shrewd person, mm -hmm. and his second wife 
worked in the financial, in the Ministry of Finances, mm-hmm. and she knew the Soviet system from inside. Well, when I got acquainted with her, I visited them from time to time. She was a nice woman, uh, and uh, I once worked. Uh, I once asked her uh, something about this planned economy in the Soviet Union, uh, and she she said, and I rem- uh, I remember this saying very well. She said, "Look, Sergey, our economy." is the most unplanned in the world. <laughs> That's uh, funny. And she, she worked in the Minister, Minister of Finance, Finances. She knew, she knew what she said. <laughs> wow. No, anyhow, so I say that my father, my grandfather evidently, you know, had uh, not only Jewish consciousness, but a kind of guilt complex. That, mm-hmm. that he said, we Jews, we we have made the revolution, one revolution in Russia, and nobody would forgive us another one. It's interesting because mm-hmm. he kind of so he bought into. Well, he believed in the idea that it was a uh, you know that in, in essence in, in the Judeo Bolshevism. <laughs> um, well, yeah. no, because after all, uh, more, uh, many uh, top leaders of the Bolsheviks were Jews. Trotsky, Sverdlov, Kamenev, Zinoviev, and many others on the, so to say, lower levels. <laughs> but uh, then, so the irony was he died and your grandfather, my great-grandfather died and didn't live to see it, but when Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of things were again pinned on Jews, and the big first seven, um, what do you call them? Uh, oligarchs. oligarchs. They were Jewish, or at least five of the yes. seven, at least. Yes. So, so my point is that I, I'm not sure if it's um, it didn't necessarily um, mean that Jews made another revolution. It just they were somehow noticeable. Well, of course not. You know? And uh, of course, even uh, that saying that we Jews uh, made the revolution in Russia. Of course, it was a kind of shibboleth, mm-hmm. uh, probably a false shibboleth. Uh, yeah. The revolution had many reasons and many contributors, so to say. But, uh, and, uh, you know, and this, grand, my grandfather told it when he was dying, maybe in a kind of half delirium. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. But but it was, it means that this idea wasn't his subconsciousness, so to say. Mm-hmm. Interesting. There is another interesting recollection of mine. Some months before his death, he was sent to a kind of, well, health uh, institution near Moscow. Uh, and I visited him there. It was winter, and we walked through, well, the environment. Uh, and it was, snow was everywhere still. And he told me, I never asked him. He told me by himself, so to say. He said, I wouldn't be able to live in Israel. There is no snow there. Yeah. Hmm? So he's a Russian a Russian person, a Russian soul. You know, um, he can't... Uh, he was basically saying that the, Israel is a, is a foreign... has a foreign environment for him. And, yes, but yeah. he was... He was very much interested in Israel. He listened regularly to Call Israel. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, so to say, emotionally, he participated very much in uh, 
the life on Israel. He told me this and that, and uh, even uh, as he learned many languages, he told me some details about this modern Hebrew in Israel. I remember he admired how they invented a word for uh, airplane. There was no airplanes in Bible, huh? In the Bible. <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> they had to invent a word for for airplane in in modern Hebrew. But you know the If way I'm you're telling mis- about him, he sounds like he was uh, naturally, in a way, a follower of Haskala. You pronounce it Haskala. 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 I don't remember Haskala. Haskala. But basically, the way you describe him, he was more of the strain of thought. He and kind of integrationist, probably. No, European. Probably, but he he never he never mentioned to me this word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most probably, he was a kind of heir of this tradition. Mm-hmm. Yes, probably. That's interesting. Uh, well, so but I say that my my grandmother. She she uh, she got no Jewish education, and uh, as I say, her, uh, she even, evidently she grew uh, also in a kind of mixed environment. Uh, she would she would re- recall uh, some Jewish traditions that this or that would say prayers uh, with the talis on his head, uh, but. This inevitably, uh, I mean, invariably, made her laugh. Mm-hmm. Any recollection about uh, specifically Jewish traditions made her laugh. I don't, I, I never understood it properly, but there was some psychological, so to say, uh, detail. That, uh, <laughs> you know, I what, think what, yeah. what was specifically Jewish was. Rather funny for her, mm-hmm. rather than, and she 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 didn't take it too seriously. You know, my mom, uh, so your sister told me once that so your grandmother, the the, mm-hmm. the woman you're talking about, uh, basically was laughing at all religions because at the turn of the century, for the sort of I guess urban or I don't know what you call it, urban culture or. Jews, well, I guess, probably. or people in general, urban people. It was, you know, it was passe. So she told me the story that I think she and her friends in their youth, so early, maybe early 20th century, would go to the church. And when they would be, um, what is it? You know, Christos Vaskresia. You know, yes, when yes, there would be this. They would say, Nipravda, Nipravda. Yeah, they would, she would yell. Yes, That's yes. not true, she not told, true. That's like offensive but, in a way. But, 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 you know what it shows? That she had, uh, well, Russian, maybe even Christian friends, because you know, if uh, it it would have been unimaginable that a group of Jews <laughs> would approach a, a Christian right. church and cry <laughs> "Nepravda, Nepravda." You see, oh, you're it, right. I never thought invite, about it. Then they would invite violence. You know, yeah, that's pretty funny. But uh, only ra- Russian young people could do it. And and the fact that my grandmother was among such people uh, tells a lot about her environment. Huh? Right. Wait, I, I think I kind of shortened the story and it was half in Russian. I just want to retell it for people who listen. So is it Easter Eve? When was it? Um... I, you're asking me about Christ, Christ, Christian well, stuff? I have no <laughs> idea, you know? Yeah. It's Easter. No, no, no. It is Easter. Easter. What is, or what is called Passover. 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 Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, then when uh, at, at 12 o'clock, I mean, at night, yes. when the service begins, uh, the, the priest exclaims, Christos Vaskresi. Jesus risen or something, yeah. right? Uh, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, he has, yeah, proper, has, has risen. risen. Jesus has risen, yeah. And the proper answer would be, Vaistino Vaskresi. Truly risen. Yeah. But these young people cried, <laughs> Nipravda, Nipravda. Like, lies, it's not lies, true. Yeah. That's <laughs> a lie. And the, yeah, which actually says something also about those Christian or so-called Christian youth of the well, early... Well, you know, some people were like this. Some people may may have been true believers. It's, uh, you know, it was a pluralistic society. Of course. But what's interesting, my my Russian father, he was of course baptized after his birth because he was born also in 1915. Uh, but late in his life, when he was about 20, he became what is called in Russian председатель колхоза, a chairman of the collective farm. <laughs> and he, among his other activities, he started destroying the church there. Wow. I've heard uh, stories. Sacrilege. I think people, I'm not sure about specifically my my grandfather, your father, but like people like that had to saw off the crosses. <clears throat> Right. So what? To what? saw off? Do yeah, I say saw right? Off, like to... to saw off the crosses. Pilit at pilit the cross. Oh no, no. Well, you see, actually, when we visited his village uh, two times, it was once in 1966, and for the second time in 1970, the church was still there. <laughs> so he, he never finished that the destruction. <laughs> the church was still there, but by the end of his life, my father would say. Surely we were like Hunvei Bids. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of turned critical. Well, surely I say he was he was quite a uh, what should I say a shrewd person in his own way, mm-hmm. and he understood more than that he was able, uh, so to say, willing to discuss. Mm-hmm. No, but um, about uh, coming back to my grandmother. Uh, so my my father couldn't tell me almost anything uh, about uh, Orthodox Christian traditions because he was not connected with this tradition in any way. But my Jewish grandmother, it is from her that I learned, for instance, about what in English I think is called Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Uh, This is... uh, the Sunday when Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was greeted with palm leaves, but in, in Russia we don't have palms. So they use, what is the English for verba? I, oh, I always forget. Do you know what uh, verba is? Yes, yes, I know exactly how it looks. I, um, I'll, t- I'll yes. tell you in a so second. In Russian it is called verbne воскресенье. So I learned about this verbne воскресенье from my Jewish grandmother. She knew it. That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, I actually wanted to uh, maybe get into uh, uh, something maybe slightly more connected to your to your youth, you know, and to, to your adulthood, actually. Not to your youth, to your adulthood, to your adult years. Is, you know, the whole process of what we talked about in the very beginning, you know, this Jewification or re-Jewification or self-re-Jewification. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> because okay, so you obviously didn't go through this process. I mean, as I as I understand it, uh, no, no. it was you didn't you you didn't have a moment when you suddenly began to it didn't feel compelled. That, yeah, right? well, just that the idea that like suddenly your sort of rush Soviet Russian identity was not enough for you, and that you needed to find another kind of identity f- for some kind of meaning. So I just wonder because and I know that you had friends and people you knew. Who did go through this process, right? I'm just so I. I wonder if you could, you know, first of all, say why you think you never felt compelled or or wanted to or drawn to this, to this um, sort of cultural revolution. I'd, I'd say, you know, among the Jewish community because it was, you know, a powerful force. Um, why you were never compelled, and why maybe your friends that you that you had or people that you knew did do this. Well, you see, to begin with, my friends. Uh, well, at least two of my school uh, friends, uh, later when we all uh, entered the Moscow State University, they became Orthodox Christians and even very militant, very ardent Orthodox Christians. But I didn't like it because I felt that they just, uh, what should they say, revived a kind of Marxist uh, orthodox orthodoxy, stubbornness, Marxist stubbornness, Marxist rigidity uh, in a in a orthodox Christian form. Uh, we we kept meeting and uh, remained in a way, no, if not friends, then acquaintances. But I was very critical about these people. Uh, I myself, I liked. Uh, to visit uh, uh, Russian Orthodox churches from time to time. I especially liked this Easter service. Uh, Till now, I think that this this singing, Christos Vaskresis, Mertech, Mertius, Papra, it's magnificent music, magnificent singing, magnificent magnificent, uh, music, so to say. But, you know, I... I always uh, perceived it more on the ascetical side, so to say. And probably my Soviet education, I keep saying that basically I remained a Soviet person, what is called Homo Sovieticus. (laughs) And uh, I'm not ashamed of it, because actually what is called the, the Soviet ideology was a kind of vulgarized and simplified form of uh, European enlightenment. Right. You know, uh, uh, we were taught and we read quite a lot of Marx and Engels. And Marx and Engels are called uh, one, uh, well, among the, la- the latest of the last philosophers of enlightenment. enlightenment. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, when I remember that even in my, so to say, late school years, it means about 1960, 61, 62, uh, I, I was becoming more and more critical about the official Soviet ideology. But, uh, you know, this uh, education in, what should I say, in skepticism, in 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 uh, in 
this belief in traditional religions. Uh, well, belief in reason. Oh, yeah. anyway. It was so deeply ingrained in me. And I may say that I inherited it from my, from my parents because they built, well, they had different backgrounds, but their common denominator, so to say, was just the Soviet Enlightenment ideology. In this, they, they were unanimous, so to say. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But then, uh, Sirej, I have a question. So when you mm-hmm. call yourself unironically, I assume, Homo Sovieticus, um, if I b- remember correctly, Zinoviev first coined that term, right? Zinoviev. Probably. I, Probably if, yes. if I remember correctly. And um, actually, he himself, well, I read more about him rather recently, eventually he was himself Homo Sovieticus. He wasn't like... Um, he was critical of the Soviet system, but he was a Soviet person, and he came back then to Russia, and yes. uh, he mm-hmm. was critical of, you know, the, I don't know, what he considered the, the 90s. Um, uh, the 90s Russia became capitalist or feudalistic mm-hmm. or something like that. So he was critical of the uh, uh, new Russia as well. But in general, now this term, actually, when it's used, I know it's been used again, like um, Homo Sovieticus or Red Man by this, um, I forget always her name, Alexeyevich, this did I say it right? The Belarusian writer, novel Svetlana Alexeyevich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's only uh-huh. negative. It's basically, um, there's this interesting thing, which I, I'm very critical of because I think it's a lie, of making th- this uh, term to mean um, something ultimately kind of like uh, sort of stupid, like as if it's like unscared, uh, uneducated well, person living, like living in totalitarianism. Ob- ob- obedient, like obedient, all this stuff, you know, yeah. like ba- only you bad see, and pathetic kind of, mm-hmm. which you disagree with, right? Because the way you describe well, it, and I tend see, to agree. Mm-hmm. Words, words may be used in different ways. And when I, 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 I don't insist that I should be uh, by all means and in any case called uh, Homo Sovieticus, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm not ashamed to call myself with this name because right. I, I I don't mm, put into it a, anything uh, derogatory. Just right. just a matter of education, upbringing, yeah. and uh, of course you you can turn it into into a, a pejorative term. Yes, but for you, the way you describe it, it's almost not just not derogatory. It's not new. It's kind of positive, as you say, slightly. Yes, I do. I do think you see, as compared with uh, the so-called new uh, new Christians. Well, after all, in the Soviet system, you see, I I'm not nostalgic uh, about the Soviet Union, and mm-hmm. as I told you. I have just told you I became quite critical about the Soviet system rather early, but uh, we can't deny that there was quite a s- substantial positive potential uh, in 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 this uh, well, even let us say ideology, this system of ideas that were inculcated officially, but. Uh, Maybe negative sides, the negative sides of this ideology prevailed in the end mm-hmm. and, and uh, brought it to its inglorious end. But uh, uh, if uh, 
uh, what should I say? But it never occurred to me that I, uh, that I should turn from my Soviet education to Orthodox Christianity or Orthodox Judaism. Yeah. Why should I? Though I'm, I, I can be, I am called sometimes, I may be called a Galahic Jew. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I you once, are. I, I, I once, I once uh, discussed this with a rabbi in the city of Perm. <laughs> I met, I went there to a conference and one of the participants was the local rabbi. And we discussed these Jewish matters. I told him that, well, this and that. Uh, my mother was Jewish. He said, okay. So if there is, uh, I don't remember exactly, but he said that in some situations, uh, uh, 10 Jews are needed for some pr- particular prayer. So he said, you can be one of those 10. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> incredible, you, incredible stuff. You have, you have the right to be one of the 10 Jews to take part in this particular prayer. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm honored, of course. More practically, you can, you can get Israeli citizenship is, I think, the more practical uh, application yes. of this, of this, yes, of yes. this, uh, of yes. this little rule that they got going. Um, Easily, yeah. And um, you still haven't. But, but you see, I, I visited Israel twice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Well, of course, it was interesting. It was interesting. And I recalled my grandfather and uh, all these Jewish letters around, you know, they reminded me of my childhood. Because we had some Jewish books at home. In Hebrew? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, More in Yiddish. Ah, Okay. (laughs) Uh, Hebrew, yeah. But uh, you see, I I did feel like singing Habaita. (laughs) <laughs> Habaita means, well, going home. Yeah. I didn't feel at home in Israel. You did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No. Neither I, did I. I feel at home in Moscow. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So let me ask you this. So then what is the difference? Because you also, I mean, you at least know people or know of people who did go that route, right? So, I mean. Why I mean, just, did they basically? Well, actually, hold on. I actually want to step back and, 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 and kind of comment on something you said, which I think is something that Jenny uh, and I actually talk about quite quite a lot and we've talked about it on different episodes of this podcast um uh that um you know the sort of the rejection of the soviet union the this the this in the 1970s when people started being more critical of the soviet union there began to be a kind of movement of of, of a rejection right and so people went into different took that rejection or uh, took different paths right some people went to russian orthodoxy i mean a lot of people started kind of going into some kind of spiritual identities um you know, people converted to Russian to, to, to Russian Orthodoxy. Got um, you know, got baptized secretly. You know, um, other people went you know into different directions, and one of those directions was a kind of a, a reawakening of, of Zionism and kind of nationalist Jewish identity among among Soviet Jews, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. and so, why do you? I think I think that's you. That's kind of what you agree with that that this is kind of happened. This is a, a trend that was happening back then. Right, and so the question well, is, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, just in a, a simplified version, and the, the question is, why were some people drawn to that? You know, to the to go Russian Orthodox or to you know for a particularly or religious know, way or religious way or the nationalist way, the right. Jewish nationalist way, right. because not everyone was religious. Actually, people were Zionists. They believed that you know they wanted to join the 
the kind of the Jewish homeland and wanted to be part of that of that project. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I actually, and, you know, and some people were very, very ideological about it to the point where, you know, they protested their, um, you know, there's one guy that's actually kind of on, you see on TV now in, in Russia on channel, uh, on, you know, on the main TV, TV shows, political TV shows is um, Yaakov, um, um, Kedmi. Yaakov Kedmi, Kedmi. Yes, 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 Yaakov Kedmi. And he's, you know, a kind of a, an example of, 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 of this type of person who at a very young age, you know, he, I, I, I read his memoirs and he, you know, he uh, literally came across some calendar, right, that actually a, a Jewish agency distributed in the Soviet Union to get people to sort of think about the, their Jewish identity. He, some pamphlet or some calendar that showed, you know, Jews in Israel kind of being happy and being kind of happy Zionists and kind of building a new homeland together. And I think even as a, uh, he was still, I think, in his studies in Moscow, has, you know, um, he was essentially, he described it as almost like being struck by, you know, like a ray of light or like almost like a, con- like being born again or something, you know, like a, 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 a divine intervention or something, you know, um, where he suddenly everything just kind of shifted for him in his memoirs. That's how he describes it. And from then on, you know, he became singularly minded about, you know, getting out of the Soviet Union and basically tearing his passport up, you know, publicly and, you know, doing all these kinds of things. So the question is, why were some people drawn to that? You know, these people were some, a lot of them were urban and very well adjusted, had good jobs and, you know, um, what was the thing that you think pushed people in that direction? Well, <laughs> as they say, a good question. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but you see, I, I, I don't think that I can give you a, a answer to this question. And anybody can give you an answer. This is, this is uh, what should I say, a mystery of individual human psychology. Why uh, one person becomes a mathematician, Another pe- another person becomes uh, uh, what I don't know a taxi driver, mm, and still another becomes a, a criminal. Uh, you can't explain uh, human development in in any uh, simple uh, or even probably not too simple schemes. But what I remember, uh, what I told you. Uh, the turning point uh, was, of course, uh, 1967, the Six Days' War. Right. Uh, what is probably... Well, now some people say that the destruction of the Soviet Union was begun by, by Khrushchev's speech at the 20th uh, Congress of the Communist Party in 1956. Uh this the the monolith, if it was if if it ever was a monolith, of the Soviet system, was being destroyed destroyed gradually, and for many people uh, in different ways. But uh, you see, uh, Khrushchev's dismissal was a very important turning point. I I remember even my father came home from his office uh, and uh, uh, said that Khrushchev is dismissed. For him, it was quite a shock, and for many people. And then uh, in 65, 66, 67, 68, there was a kind of 
ferment in the Soviet Union because even the new bosses didn't know where to to go exactly. And some more freedom, some more diversity was was allowed. And uh, during these times, uh, these years, those years, many people, uh, well, had uh, the opportunity to rethink their lives, their views. And then when the Six Days War happened, uh, it was so evident that the Soviet uh, government supported the Arabs Mm -hmm. against Israel. And it was a shock for many Jews here. So, mm, and this process of rejuification, it started soon after the Six Days War, because uh, for many people who never, th- who had never thought about it, this situation of Israel endangered and then becoming victorious uh, was something very spectacular. And uh, so to say, uh, well, it, uh, ex- exploding one's brains, I would say so. What, did you did you remember it that way? I mean, because you were you were obviously you know we weren't well, alive. I, back I then. remember. Yeah, I remember. Well, for me, it was not so important. I understood, but it it, it didn't make it didn't make me uh, well. Uh, so to say, it made me feel more Jewish than I had felt before. It did. You see, it did or did not. It didn't. It, it didn't. didn't. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, as I say, my my shift, so to say, my movement from uh, the simplified uh, Soviet Marxist uh, ideology to well, what should I say? to the more pure uh, variety of European Enlightenment uh, ideology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was rather enough. That's interesting. So you actually went, you you kind of went, you know, you just had a, a slight more, I don't know. What you call expanded, it, like a, kind of, right? Expanded, it's more sophisticated uh, and nuanced. Well, you know, after all, after all, I... I uh, studied at Moscow State University from 62 to 68 in those very seminal years, you see. Yeah. And, uh, well, Moscow University, though, uh, one of our teachers called it, if you understand the pun, Sram Nauki. <laughs> it's, I'm afraid uh-huh. it's untranslatable, but because usually they say Hram Nauki, huh? The, the temple of science, the temple of knowledge. Yeah, it's like the, the turd of science. Sram <laughs> Nauki means the, the shame of science. The shit of science, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the turd, yeah. But still, you see, still it was something. We had, some of our teachers were quite brown, bright. And we got some education. We, we read a lot of, we, we could read a lot of books. So but is, do you think, uh, I'm obviously speculating because, uh, you know, I'm, much younger and didn't uh, live to really see the Soviet system and uh, 
Um, I wonder if, because if, again, we talk about personal experiences, your personal experiences was very mm-hmm. specific to the center of Moscow, to the kind of uh, going to, as far as Soviet Union goes, the best university in Soviet Union and all that, and having an academic career and uh, kind of this life of the mind <laughs> within Soviet system, system and afterwards. Do you think like mm-hmm. um, basically there is like an element <laughs> using the vulgar terms of some, I don't know, I don't want to use the word class, I don't know, a milieu, I guess it's a better term uh, of yours that m- made you not run towards uh, Jewish nationalism or Orthodox Christianity or, or something else because you were kind of had... Um, in some ways, you obviously seen the bad stuff too, but you got the best out of this Soviet enlightenment as far as it goes, even it was even if it was bastardized and kind of like vulgar and simplified, mm-hmm. and later you sort of turned to a more <laughs> to a more um, I don't know uh, pristine to a more pristine version of this. So, do you think? If you try to step out, obviously it's hard to see yourself from outside, obviously, but if you try to analyze it, do you think there's this element of milieu of the very specific, fairly small as far as, again, this huge country goes, or even as far as Moscow goes, you know, even within Moscow, it's such a tiny kind of milieu of people yes. where everyone well, in a way yes. knows each other almost through. Well, well of, yeah. of course, of course, I think any person, any person uh, is determined well, probably to a certain extent by, by his genetics, so to say, by his biological uh, beginning or biological elements, and then by, by the milieu. But in my case, it was also, um, so uh, again, the, the time uh, uh, when I grew up. You see, uh, I went to school in uh, in the uh, in the year of Stalin's death in 1953 mm-hmm. so uh, people of my generation uh, in in, her, in their early childhood uh, played under huge portraits of Stalin and then when I was at school uh, my school years coincided with Khrushchev's thaw with the uh, first gradual, then rather abrupt desanctification of Stalin. You see, uh, so before our eyes, the person who had been considered a god was proclaimed a rascal, a criminal. And this we experienced in in our even not teens, but from eight, nine, ten years old, and then in our teens, you see. I think this process was uh, very significant and, uh, what should I say, formative. That makes sense, yes. You know, I wonder, uh, Sergei, did you read or heard of this book uh, by a Berkeley professor, but he's uh, originally from Leningrad, uh, Yurchak, uh, Alexei Yurchak, he wrote this book, um, Everything Was Forever Until It Was No More, about the last Soviet generation, which I guess, uh, no, no, I never didn't. heard. Oh, you might be actually interested. But, uh, well, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good, it's a good title because really till, uh, we, we lived till, till the mid eighties with the feeling that 
everything was forever. Mm-hmm. You would you would like uh, it then? It's sort of about your generation, maybe people a bit younger too, who had to kind of see the collapse yeah, of the but, Soviet Union, but uh-huh. could never imagine it. But once it happened, it made total sense that it would end because it was um, sort of grotesque. Then, you know, uh, probably in my case, uh, an important influence was the Moscow Festival of 1957, uh, in the in the summer of 1957. Mm-hmm. I, I was 11. And all of a sudden, Moscow was full of of foreigners, of young foreigners from all over the world, singing, dancing, uh, joking. And I, at the, by that time, I knew a bit of English, so I could even talk with some people. It was quite a, reve- a revelation for me as for many other people. What was Then, the festival told, about? What was this festi- huh? What was the festival? It was the Uh, World Youth Festival. Oh, oh right. Yes. Okay. Okay. You yeah. know, there was mm-hmm. a series fe- of festivals, and in '57, it took place in Moscow. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, coming back to this Jewish-Russian theme, uh, I think it was the, for the first time that some, uh, what should I say, uh, musical yes. groups from mm. Israel come to Moscow. Yes. And of course, many Jews uh, went to, to attend these uh, performances. So our family also went to one of those performances. And we stood in a line to enter, or maybe to buy tickets. I don't remember. But anyhow, for some time, we all stood in a line. My grandmother, my mother, my father, and myself. And most of the people in the line were, of course, Jews. So my father, uh, well, what should they say, went aside for some time. And uh, the other people, Jews in the queue, asked my mother, is your husband Jewish? My mother said, no, he's Russian. Ah, they said, okay. But we thought, to what extent he was Russified? In Russian, как обрусел человек. It's pretty good. Uh, It's funny uh, in Russian. Of course, of course my, you <laughs> see, and my mother, my mother didn't miss, uh, I mean, didn't miss telling my father this. And it shows, it shows the relations within the family. Yeah. Well, he, he became Jewified is what it is. Your my grandfather became Jewified. Yeah. had a very, a very strong sense of humor. Yeah. He liked it immensely. And then he remembered it long afterwards and would say, ah, как я бросил. You know, it's funny because um, it's funny that you mentioned this festival because I've actually come across people talking about it. You know, people, I think, uh, more or less your age, maybe a little a little younger, but, you know, who, who experienced it um, as like the first, their first um, exposure To Jewish culture and to Jewish singing, you know, on this kind, in this kind of mass way, because back then, Soviet relations with Israel were still good, right? Uh, were still brotherly, and um, and but but so that's why they were there. That's why you know performers from Israel were there. 
uh, but it's, it's, it's funny, funny. It shows up, you know. I mean, again, it's like the the 1967 war, right? The um, this festival. It's like there are key markers, I think, that are kind of common, you know, to 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 Jews uh, living in you know in, in Moscow and and in the Soviet Union that were like a, uh, key in forming. Um, you know, you know an, at least an awareness of their, of their Jewish identity, and and some people went much further. Of course, these were just the beginnings, and then they went kind of off the rails and and fully into, you know, Jewish nationalism and, and um, things like that. But yeah, it's interesting that you mention these things. Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, to sum up this line of discourse, you see, uh, I must have taken very seriously that Soviet ideology, as they say, that uh, ethnic uh, identity of a person is not essential, is not important. And, uh, actually, uh, the Soviet Union was really a multi-ethnic country, and we all, including Jews, uh, got accustomed to live to live in a multi-ethnic uh, environment. Again, I remember uh, I had an aunt. Uh, well, he was a daughter of my grandmother's elder brother. My uh, grandmother's elder brother was called, of course, Moishe. Uh, he was quite a, an erratic person. He had several wives some of them Russian. Uh, so, and this lady was one of his daughters. Probably he was half Russian, uh, but she looked very Jewish. And I asked her, would you like to go to Israel? And she said very emotionally and spontaneously, oh, how, how shall I, how can I live there? There are only Jews there. <laughs> But it sounds very uh, Woody exactly. Allen. It's very sounds Jewish. like Woody Allen would say that. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. <laughs> uh, incidentally, her husband her husband was Russian. Her husband was Russian. She looked very Jewish, but probably I, I'm not sure. Uh, about uh, her mother, because this Moisei had several wives, and I don't remember. Uh, That's funny. Who was her mother? But she looked very Jewish. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, trying to like sum up the conversation or to have some sort of <laughs> conclusion. Um, from what you were telling us, um, and some of the stuff I heard actually for the first time, because <laughs> we never had this conversation with you, mm-hmm. it seems that at least for a certain strat of Jews or part Jews, doesn't matter, in the Soviet Union. So the creation of the Soviet Union, so post-revolutionary years, and the war in some ways <laughs> uplifting because it um, opened, uh, you know, all different venues of um, and uh, yes. fields for work yes. and career and just generally life. It was, you know, you, you could live... W- well, to some degree, where you want. There were other problems with the you were Soviet not Union. From the big At least you were not yeah. banned from the big cities and all that. So there were good parts. And actually, uh, within all this uh, Soviet Jew as victim narrative that is predominant here, 
as uh, Yasha knows, and I kind of learned about this from from him and from living in America, Iman, <laughs> to some degree, Iman Jews. Uh, who were saved. <laughs> who, who were saved or the American Jews who would know about Soviet Jews only as victims of the state-sponsored anti-Semitism. Anyway, all this narrative seems like partially fraudulent. So w- what do you know about it? It seems like the pre-revolutionary Russia, so Russian Empire pre um, uh, in, in pre-Soviet times, actually the anti-Semitism was way more rampant and structural rather than, you know, one-off or, or whatnot. Uh, would you agree with that? I think uh, uh, there must be a lot of research on this subject. I don't know. But of course, uh, well, uh, Jews had a lot of problems in pre-revolutionary Russia. There's no doubt about it. But uh, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, many things changed. And uh, probably, well, it's difficult to compare. It's, a, it's, it's again one of the most interesting and touchy points of Russian history. To what extent, uh, I mean, the comparison between the pre-revolutionary things and post-revolution. Mm-hmm. What was worse, what was better? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is no simple answer. I suppose. S- certain things might have been better before 1917, but certain things must have been certainly worse. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't dare uh, pronounce any uh, <laughs> definite opinions. Sorry, two words about Jews of, as victims. Of, certainly, uh, Jews uh, suffered as Jews, uh, but more after the Second World War. For instance, uh, Stalin in in in, in nineteen fifty-two several first-rank Yiddish poets were shot, executed together for mm-hmm. one day. But uh, if we look at the history of Ukrainian uh, intellectuals, the Belarusian intellectuals, or Central Asian intellectuals, you find similar executions. So Jews were... Uh, Jew, Jewish intelligentsia, uh, and Jews in general, of course, very often they became victims of the Soviet system, but they were not unique in this key, in this respect. You know, they were not unique. So to say that the Soviet system was especially, so to say, inclined to victimize Jews. I yeah, think I think I think that's a very good point that to make, and uh, because it's I think because again, you know, history and you know historical narratives are very much yeah, you know are frequently fire. about a, 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 a emphasis, fire. right? And and uh, uh, not 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 distortions, distortions right? But just emphasis on some things and a kind of a de-emphasis on other things. And I think when you know, Jews here in America talk about the plight of the Jews in the Soviet Union, 
they don't really, you know, it, they're almost, Jews are put in a category of, of their own rather than looking at it holistically in, in sort of the, con- the political context of, of that place. And, uh, it, like, like, again, you know, if you look at, I don't know, the Chechen, Chechen people or something like that, you know, Jews never, were never victims of, of that kind of, um, of that kind of, um, you know, Displacement, forced resettlement. Yes, yeah. yes. What about uh, or, you know, Crimean yeah. Tatars. I mean, you know, this was, all happened during the war. And so, uh, and, you know, there's some, there's some, you know, uh, b- fears, I guess, um, uh, that this was, it was leading to that, right? And then Stalin died, essentially, right? That, that there was going to be mass deportations or whatever. But well, I mean, there, it, it, there, yeah. There, there is, there is a kind of conviction, yes. And I heard it very early, even at, uh, when I was in the ninth or tenth class at school, we had a, a physics teacher, a Jewish lady. Uh, who told us that uh, yes, Stalin was going to uh, to undertake a deportation of Jews, uh, but I am not sure till today whether or not it is a reality or a or a myth. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, it should be researched, but I I doubt if anybody. Uh, yeah, I've looked into it a little bit, and you know, the, the, unfortunately, you know, the archives, and there is no historical, um, you know. Um, yes. Because for deportations like that to happen, you know, they need to be planned. It's not a small thing. And it's also Jews were um, – you kind of are faced with a similar problem that actually the Germans faced, which is that Jews are very much distributed among the population, right, urban population. And our Jews are also, you know, like uh, sometimes fully assimilated into Soviet society, don't even consider themselves Jewish, sometimes are not listed properly even in their passports and their papers as Jewish, right? So you, for are Jewish, partially, but yes. you're not listed as such. A, so you would actually require a pretty massive um, bureaucratic apparatus in order, in order to, to sift through the, through the records, well, to Nazi find the Jews. projects. Yes, yes. <laughs> and to and to I, you know to find it actually you know um, to, it was to the point where you know, I kind of write a little bit about this in my book about you know the history of the internet is that Germany um, actually utilized early IBM you know computer technology. To to self sift through these you know geo, geo, geological geo, genealogical records and stuff like that. Basically, There's, the first tabulator right was created yes, the, for this purpose. Well, yeah, yeah I mean it was for population stuff, but but they were they were clients of IBM, basically Germany. The point of what I'm trying to say is that for these kinds of plans to be real, you know, you would there would be evidence of them. You know, aside from just a, a whisper into the ear of Beria or something, right? Like it's um, there if for them to be actually you know, uh, even even partially realized, you know, or prepared for, you'd need, you know, there would be a bureaucratic paper trail of this thing. And it, as, as far as, as I understand, can, nothing, nothing like that has been discovered or known about. In the nineties, people yeah. would love to discover it, and the, the fact yeah. that they haven't yet probably it means it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? I don't think it was. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe if, who knows? Yeah. But yeah. But you know, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. Yeah, the 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 context of it that rarely people talk about. Yeah, yeah you have so. a really interesting kind of take on it, especially for uh, you know coming from the Western or specifically American audience. I don't think people know much about this side of history, specifically of I don't know Soviet Russian Jews or mix of that or yeah, none of that. <laughs> Yeah. That's a kind of a story that is not very uh, popular or welcomed here. The one you telling. I mean, everything everything is in America and in the West. You know, a lot of things. The main, I think, cultural lens through which people see Jewish, you know, history is the Holocaust. You know, and um, and so everything is like 
is seen in terms of that. You know, so if Jews are being slightly repressed or being being sort of, yeah, there's some kind of discrimination, you know, that's then, you know, that's sort of the, it's, yeah, it's like, it's just, that's the, it's the beginnings of a new Holocaust, you know, uh, or something like that. So, um, it's kind of a, in a way, it, 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 the Holocaust frame dominates everything and, and actually makes it harder to to have nuance and, and appreciate it. Oh, since of, yeah. you mentioned yeah. it, I know we, we, we're almost done with this conversation. Incidentally, uh-huh. incidentally, I, I heard the word Holocaust rather late. I don't remember when, but all through the Soviet years, almost till the very end, nobody pronounced this yeah. word. Well, of course, we, 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 we did know about this, uh, uh, so to say, mass killings of mm-hmm. Jews in, in concentration camps. This we know. But the word Holocaust Interesting. was not there. I, I, don't, I can't say when it appeared in, the, in our Russian uh, discourses, so to say, probably in the late 80s. Wow, uh, so late. Mm-hmm. And you see, uh, it, it appeared in, in an English form. Because uh, uh, if 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 we uh, so to say accepted or borrowed it earlier, it might have sounded like uh, Golokaust, because we have Kausticeske Sol, and and Gologramma. I mean this Greek. Uh, Greek word meaning the, 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 the whole in Russian usually okay. is uh, rendered as golo. Right. Hol- hologram, hologram, galakost. Uh, <laughs> uh, holocaust came from English. Yes, I see what and, you mean. So it came very late, yes. I see what you mean. And, and came very late. Wait, no. but I'm actually curious. In, in As a almost child or very young adult in the 50s, did you hear, mm-hmm. did, was it known? Did you know living in Moscow about the mass killings and what was going on well, during yes, the war? We, 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 yes, we did know. We did know. Uh, well, it was not, uh, uh, so to say, suppressed the information. About but it the, wasn't uh, emphasized, I mean, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, the word was not there. The yeah, word was not there. But not the word, even the concept that Jews were the ones that perished kind of the most from the... Um, Third Reich, was it? It wasn't emphasized from what I know in Soviet Union, right? Even this movie, you know, uh, uh, "Come and See," let's say it's it, 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 you couldn't probably, say it's a Jew. Probably. You have to say it's something, whatever, just a person. Well, yeah. probably, probably, uh, it was not concealed that many Jews were killed, mm-hmm. but probably it was not emphasized that uh, Jews were the, so to say. Uh, uh, Premier victims. Right. Yes. It was hardly emphasized. Yeah. It makes sense because there are what twenty million Russians perished, you know, fighting. (laughs) Germany. But this is not. Yeah. But this is different. They killed their own. They killed their own. You know. They killed. Yeah. And nobody knows. Nobody knows exactly how many. It was the Russians only. It was. And when they say twenty millions, uh, yeah, they include both uh, those who were killed uh, in the in 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 battles and who perished. so to say, outside mm-hmm. battles, right? And nobody, nobody knows exactly because even through during my lifetime, this figure changed several times. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's the one I grew up with. How can you, you know, it, 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 you know it's pretty funny because, you know, with, it, you get this actually, you know, with sort of um, the, the politicized, you know, using mass death as a kind of contest, right, of who suffered, as a suffering contest, right? Victim and contest. So, and so you even see it, you know, I don't know, like, which is kind of disgusting because you sometimes see... You know, you know uh, like uh, the Armenian, yeah, or like the you know Goldamor or the you know oh. Holodomor narratives in Ukraine, where they because you know the, the six million dead, you know, executed, killed, you know, Jews is such a strong figure. You know, a big, it's a big figure, a strong one. So you see it sometimes, you know, frequently that they try to overdo it. It's like, well, we they killed seven million Ukrainians. You know, Stalin killed seven million Ukrainians. So or even more sometimes. So there's this, so there's this, yeah, this, it's just. It's it gets kind of ridiculous because contest, at that point yeah. it's like I don't know it's like you just it, well it, unfortunately it, unfortunately yes uh, even very real facts can be used for propaganda in a, in a distorted way of course right. uh, in, you know I think that there should be a special branch of uh, historical science so to say uh, called the comparative victimology <laughs> this is great <laughs> I like that a lot, actually. I'll write it down. Uh, then, uh, uh, or even more, uh, in more wider terms, uh, uh, in Russian, I would say, сравнительная социальная история страданий. Comparative study of human, of mass human suffering. Uh, unfortunately, there is no uh, such branch of, of science so far. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good idea. idea. Yeah. These these uh, spheres so are uh, mostly materials of, of propaganda, not yeah. of science. Well, you, you know what happened in that in this situation, though. I think if there is ever an international conference of various scholars from different countries that would come together to present their papers, they'll probably kill each other. <laughs> because, because 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 all, all these things would be highly hyper nationalistic, because it would all because you'd want to promote your own you know people suffering. It would be like that. Would be, because these are projects of actually kind of like national self identity in a way, right? This this it's a it's a, it's a process of building identity and differentiating yourself from other peoples and defining who your historical enemy is and who the historical sort of aggressor is. I mean, it's 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 you you can't divorce it from the politics in a way, can you? Well, it's it, uh, one more reason to to take a kind of internationalist, or I dare say cosmopolitan position. Yes, well, uh, one, one that's true. One shouldn't take sides, even in such delicate matters. That's true. <laughs> okay, that's very last question, and we, we part, because I've, I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, so I was growing up, uh, I think, almost like, it was not openly told to me, but it was kind of obvious that uh, around this idea of the Russian Revolution being just, I feel like, yeah, purely kind of bad, just blood, terror, and for nothing. Also stupid idea overall, like all this like kind of dumb Marxism. And uh, I'm, I'm retelling it very crudely, but generally this idea. Now I grew up and I still see a lot of kind of denial of any kind of importance, giving it nothing at all to the, um, you know, histor historically within Russia. How do you feel about it? Uh, not just <laughs> as a Russian Jew, but generally, as you say, as a homo sovieticus, because you seem to have a fairly measured 
um, take on it. You neither just purely paint it as all bad and just a big gulag for the entire population. Neither you are purely see it in this utopian terms, which clearly uh, was not realized the utopia. So, uh, yeah, what, what do you think of it? Because I grew up around this full denial. Uh, I would start uh, from a rather far corner of this theme that uh, any historical process has many, many sides. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, we can give uh, general descriptions in, so to say, world historical terms. But uh, mostly, I think, such descriptions are bound to be false. Uh, any historical event, any historical process, there's so many different sides. On, uh, on the one hand, on the level of mass, on the behavior of masses of people. On the other hand, on the, be uh, the beha behavior of individuals. So to describe any event any process in simple terms, good or bad, is meaningless. But the denial is something else. That's what, um, if I articulate it correctly. You see, you see I, I do think, uh, well, when you say Russian Revolution, uh, again, it's a Soviet habit to, to lump together uh, the whole process from February 1917 right. till probably 1920. It was a very complicated process. And uh, mm, as for usually uh, the, the Bolshevik takeover in uh, the October, November of 1917 is put into the center of this process. But uh, probably it was not the very center. Uh, for that matter, the this bending, this bending of the constituent assembly in January of 1918 mm -hmm. was a much more important event right. than the Bolshevik takeover in, uh, in the October November of 1917. Uh, I, I, I may repeat that some people, maybe many people, benefited from uh, from those events but many many people suffered as well as for the country as a whole the country what that which was called Russian Empire before 1917 and was called the Soviet Union after 1922 100 years ago it was formed I think it was, it brought this Bolshevik takeover and caused more harm mm -hmm. than benefit to the country as a whole, to the people as a whole. And actually, uh, some people now, for instance, uh, Grigory Yevrinsky, about whom I may be rather critical, but I like what he says sometimes. And he says that 
our problems, our, one of our main problems till now is that we have not taken account of our history in the 20th century. This is still a task. It is a very complicated task. That's true. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, to illustrate what I mean by the discrepancy between uh, discrepancy and various different sides in any historical process. Once during the perestroika time, I think, I read in a Russian, in a Soviet newspaper, a story of a Belarusian village which was occupied by Germans during the war. And German authorities appointed a German officer as a, well, what should I say, as a supervisor, as a commandant uh, of that village. Mm -hmm. That officer proved to be a very, what should I say, a very good man. He uh, attracted to himself the, all the people in the village and uh, several very touching stories are told about him that once one of the women in the village went somewhere I don't know to get some grass for her cow or something like this she fell down and broke her leg so the German officer found her and brought her back to the village in his own arms. When German troops started their uh, retreat, this officer gathered the people of the village and told them, look, now these German soldiers will go through your village hungry and uh, and angry and all that, you hide all your cattle, all your food sto storages before they go away. And they did it and preserved both their cattle, their, I don't know what, seeds probably, and other and food. And of course, that officer went, uh, retreated with the German army. He didn't remain there. After the war, the people of that village found him in Germany and invited to, to, to the village and fasted him, honored him as a hero. It's a real story. I read it in the Soviet newspaper. So, you see, on the one hand, we have this war, an awful war, in which I think Germans were mostly bad. And the Soviet army were, well, let us say, mostly good. But in this particular case, a German officer behaved in a very strange way, but he did so. And his individual behavior was contrary 
to the great historical processes we may see. This, this, this is a telling story which, which taught me a lot about history. That's the, uh, it's a perfect uh, uh, place for it. Thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you. Amen.